All right. Let's just do a really brief review. So we've been in the series, The Incarnation, and we started with the love of God. Remember we said that we wanted to look at Christmas through God's eyes and the idea of why did God say he did Christmas? We know why we look, you know, and we know how we look at Christmas, but how, did, how does God look at it? What does he see? And it said that his motive, why he came, why Jesus came in the form of a human, why God came on our turf in the first place, was because he said his motive was that he loved us. You can attribute a lot of different motives to God, but he says his primary one, why he came, why we celebrate Christmas in the first place, is because he loved us. He said, for God so loved the world, right? And, and the idea there is that Christmas always telescopes to Easter, right? That was the purpose of why he came. For God so loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son, that whatever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so God says, my, my stated motive for Christmas is because I love you. And then we talked about the joy of God. We talked about that God as a person has joy. And that for the joy set before him, Jesus came, even though it was a very difficult assignment, Jesus had great joy to the point where the shame of the cross, he, he, he didn't, it didn't affect him to keep him from doing it. He did it because of all the people who would respond to him and respond in faith to him. And so God has great joy over the amount of people that will respond to him. And then we talked about the peace of God. That from God's eyes, he was coming to end the hostilities and primarily the hostilities between us and him. The places where we have walls, the places where we're stubborn, the places where we're hostile, the places where we're angry, the places where we're indifferent. He came to end that hostility, to reconcile so that we could have a relationship with them. And then on Christmas Eve, which, by the way, I love that service. If you came Christmas Eve, really cool. Um, love Shannon's children's video. And, uh, but we talked about who did God say this was. And we pointed out the two places where God said, this is my beloved son at Jesus' baptism. And then later on the Mount Transfiguration, this is my beloved son who, with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. And we said the whole thing is that God was putting a seal of approval on Jesus uh, for who he was, that he was the Son of God. So we've gone through the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the Son of God. And this morning, we're going to look at the hope of God. All right? Hope is a challenging topic. If you've ever given some time to think about it, um, to wrestle with it, uh, hope can be stolen from us. And, and so Scripture's uh, encouragement is that we not let it be stolen from us. And you're going to see that all the way through this morning. So let's start this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up, because we're going to go through a lot of passages and you might want to mark where these are and come back and look at them later. But uh, we'll start in Titus. That's not normally where you think of going for hope. But there's an incredible set of three verses in Titus, and it reads like this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You know what's amazing about these three verses? If you think about it, in three verses it encapsulates the entire New Testament. Read that again. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. In other words, we put off the old self, we put on the new, right? The flesh and the spirit war against each other, so you cannot do what you want. And the idea here again is there's always a call towards holiness. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. In other words, the point being made here is that Jesus is our hope. And sometimes even as Christians, we've got to be reminded of that because we put our hope in a lot of other stuff. We can, we can put hope in our status or hope in our salary or hope in a raise we got or hope in the home we've got or hope in a lot of different things, our health, our strength, our, you name it, we can put our hope in it. But Scripture always comes back and says, no, 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 don't get off. Our hope is the Lord Jesus. It says, He is our blessed hope, appearing the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So our hope is in Jesus, right? That's why we're a church. That's what Christian means. Christian means a follower of Christ. We are followers of Christ and we are waiting for his return. Our hope is in his return. Our hope is that he will save us. And our hope is that he'll make eternity possible for us. Right? I don't get into eternity because I'm a good person. I get into eternity because he's made a way for me to get into eternity. And that's through his death and resurrection that I couldn't do for myself. And our hope is in what God will do for us in eternity. Our hope is what God will do for us, not what we will do for God. Don't get the cart before the horse. Okay? We're not such great people that we are the blessed people of the earth gathered together and everybody should fawn over us because we're such wonderful people. No, actually we're quite stinky people and we have really bad attitudes and most of the time if pressure hits us just right, it comes out to the surface really quick and we reveal ourselves for how ugly we are. Where does the redemption piece in? Well, that's where Jesus makes us look good. Right? And that's, that's, so let's keep that straight when we're talking about hope that really when we're talking about hope from a Christian perspective, it is locked in Christ. If you get outside of that, uh, it's not wrong to have hope in other things, but if you make one of those other things the foundation piece, you're, you get in trouble really quick. A number of us have tried that. Um, you know, when we sang that song this morning, the riches of your love will always be enough. That's where we get caught, isn't it? Right? Because there's other loves that lure us. There's other loves that call to us. There's other loves that say, I actually promise more than Jesus does. And you should try me because I, I will give you more. And uh, the Bible calls those idols. And a lot of us chase those idols uh, through our life only to come and realize that Jesus really is who we thought he was. Now notice that as we step into that hope, we must renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And we are to purify us. We are to be transformed in our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're not to conform to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's not easy to do in a uh, media-saturated uh, culture like we live in. Because it used to be you could get away, spend time with the Lord, 
and and focus on Jesus and your hope would get relocked in. Now, as you're having a quiet time, your cell phone goes off and the timer goes off and TV goes off and the phone goes off and, you know, right? And interruption city for almost every time you try to spend time alone. But again, we're still called to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That hasn't changed. It will never change. And we are to be zealous for good works. And what we find in good works is when we do them, we're really blessed. Like we just did step by step earlier this month and everybody who was involved just came away going, who benefited more, the people that we did the stuff for or us that did it? Well, it was us that did it, right? We came away going, wow, that's the way God would operate. We got, got a flavor, we got a scent of it, and got a taste of it, and it was really, really good. From God's perspective, and remember that's what we've been trying to do this whole series is see Christmas through his, his eyes. He has a lot of hope. In spite of what's going on in the world, he has not lost his hope for people who are going to respond to him. Uh, he has hope for you and me. Isn't that amazing? He still believes in you. He still has hope in you. In spite of all the things you know you've done, I find that staggering, astonishing, almost unbelievable. It's it just amazing that God would still have hope for Steve Mitchells. But he also has hope for those who don't know him yet. That's even more astonishing. He has hope for all those people you're afraid to pray for because nothing's happened over 30 years. He has hope for them. And therefore, we should line up with him in that. What I'm trying to say is that God is a God of hope. Look at in Romans 15, very famous uh, verse says, may the God of hope, in other words, that, that's not just a title, that's actually a name, or a sig- what I'd call a signature imprint. The God of hope, that's who He is. In other words, if there's hope in the universe, it's because God is a God of hope. It's what He brings to the equation. God is not a pessimist. Okay? God is a God of hope. And it says here, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in what? Hope. One of the things that comes on a group of people when they're cooperating with God and they're cooperating with the Holy Spirit is they become very grateful. Right? We've talked about a lot. The sign of a healthy church is a grateful church. They become very generous. What we've said is the sign of a healthy church is a generous church. And by the way, church family, you've done a fabulous job this year. Hats off to you. The last four years we were running just, you know, this year abundantly you've given. And I hope God blesses you abundantly. But we're allowed to do some things we haven't been able to do for four years. We haven't even hit this Sunday yet. So, awesome job. But it becomes, right, a generous church. But one of the other telltale marks, it becomes a hopeful church. Right? When a church is doing what they're supposed to be doing, it starts to fill with hope that God will do something among us. And I think that's really important here. You know, when you think about it, you know how important this is. Uh, it's one of the, the most important pivot points in all of our lives sitting here this morning. There are very few things in life as devastating as when a person loses hope. Have you ever been around somebody who's lost hope? You can watch them wither. You can watch them shrink. 
you can watch the life go right out of their eyes as that happens. As a matter of fact, this is a, uh, if you work with people, you're aware of this, and some of you are in uh, teaching professions or nursing professions or that kind of, or in ministry like me and that kind of stuff, and you see this happen to people where they lost hope that God is for them. And uh, my sister was here in the first service, my sister and mom, and uh, so they got to be here, and it was great fun. But my sister uh, actually had a situation like this, and she uh, had to tell this lady, my sister is a cardiac care nurse, and this lady just got the prognosis of terminal cancer. And while my sister was arranging transport and doing all this kind of stuff, and the doctor had told the gal, um, she just watched life evaporate right out of this lady. And she said to the lady, she said, do, do, do you have any family? And the gal went, no. She said, do you have any friends? She went, no. Do you have anybody we could call? She shook her head, no. And in the midst of that, my sister ran into the bathroom, held it together, tying this gal, ran into the bathroom. She said, I bawled my eyes out. And then she said, I wrote this. It's a poem she wrote. It was on her cell phone, and I asked her if I could steal it. I didn't get to read this to first service. I'll read this to you in second service. Watch how devastating the loss of hope is. Silent tracks of hopelessness, leaking, slipping, sliding down, skin of brown, eyes as flat and black as the loneliest night, no family, no friends, alone in her plight, out of fight, staring, staring at the long, deep, overcoming night. Doesn't that capture that? The lack of hope. You can go on through many, many things if you have hope, no matter how tough they are, but if you lose hope, it becomes incredibly devastating. And I just want to say this morning, because I don't know how all life goes. Maybe you're here this morning and you're hanging in there by a thread. Maybe nobody knows, but you're just hanging on by a thread. And you don't know if you can go on. The message here this morning is to recenter your eyes on Jesus and again place your hope in Him. Notice how in the earlier weeks also as we were covering these topics, we covered the joy of God and the peace of God. Notice how that's contained in this verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. They're linked. They're linked along with faith. They're linked along with belief. Uh, but it's all tied to hope. Right? If I believe, I have hope for a better future. And notice that this comes from the power and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times in life we probably don't really think we need the Holy Spirit because we're strong enough, we're uh, resilient enough that we can have hope in ourselves or in our own will, our own ability to get there, right? I can pull this off by myself. I really don't need God's help. But almost always, life is designed in such a way to bring something that proves that that's not true. Right, Dave? Because you're giggling back there. I'll get you. Right? It just Life has a way of crushing our self-righteousness, of crushing our self-reliance, and putting us to the point where we lose hope that unless we turn to God, 
And unless we re-anchor in the Holy Spirit, we lose hope. We won't have hope. Because you can't have hope apart from Him. And that's one of the jobs that the Holy Spirit is in charge of, is this ministry of encouragement, the ministry of truth-telling, the ministry of keep on going, you can make it. How many times have you been ready to quit and that voice said, no, just keep going. Go talk to this friend, read this scripture, listen to this song. You ever done that, right? And just keep going, you can make it. That's the, that's the Holy Spirit. He is in the department of keeping encouragement going. By the way, we should be grateful for that, right? Uh, now the comeback is, yeah, but Mitch, wow, man, uh, this world is such a mess. Oh my goodness. And I don't know about you, do any of you watch the news and just get depressed watching the news? And I don't even watch the news anymore. But then you still get it, right? Because you get MSN and you get these threads and all this stuff coming. So no matter how you try to avoid it, you still find out. And there's just a lot of stuff that goes, wow, next year, I don't know if we're going to make it to next week. Right? You watch some of this stuff and, and the, it's just, it's really hard to be hopeful with all the things that we see happening both on a personal level where we know stuff's going on in our lives where others don't, uh, in our country and then in the world. Um, and yet, uh, Scripture's very honest about all those trials and says that we will face them. And uh, matter of fact, a lot of you are reading through the Bible and uh, uh, I just read through the book of Revelation. I did something different this time that I'd never done before. And that was, I read in the first verses, it says, whoever reads out loud the words of this book will be blessed. And I thought, huh, you know, I've read Revelations dozens of times. I never had read it out loud. And I thought, out loud, wow, okay. So I thought, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to read Revelations out loud. It is a stunning book if you read it out loud. I don't know if you've ever tried it. You might try it. It's really interesting, but there's the... Letters to the churches in the first couple of days. And then four and five are just these massive worship things that you're reading. And then after that, all hell breaks loose and it becomes devastatingly ugly. And when you're reading it out loud, you're like, yuck. Oh my gosh, this is awful. You know, and you start reading, a third of the earth will be burned up and a third are killed by plague. And you start realizing what that looks like from modern news reports, and you're going, wow. And yet what's weird is that Revelation is one of the most hopeful books in the entire Bible. And I tried to reconcile that reading, and it was just startling how devastating that book reads when it's read out loud, and yet how much hope is contained in that book. And I realized hope can exist in all of that. Uh, look at Romans 8 when we're talking about this. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing because of him who subjected it, that's God, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain a freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth unto now. When we read the story of Adam and Eve, we kind of make it a children's version, right? And they munch and they're out of the garden and that kind of stuff. And we don't realize the entire creation was subjected to futility. In other words, the fall happened to everything. The universe is affected by the fall. Right? All the stuff that we see. 
our lives, the earth, the planet, the solar system has all been subjected to the fall. For what? In the hope. God said this was worth the process. God said, I know what I'm doing. And I'm going to recreate the whole thing. And those who believe in me are going to get to be a part of that. They're called in this passage here, the heirs of the, the glory of the children of God. We will be heirs in that creation. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans. Right? And there's an idea, there, there's a feeling there that, the, right, life as we know it is kind of creaking along. Right? And some, some of us are creaking more than others. Right? And the aches and pains are more obvious, but some of us, the, the fall can steal away hope, and yet the fall was designed by God to create an unbelievable hope. Look at uh, the following verses. So this is 8, 20 and 22. This is 8, 23 through 25. It says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we, he's talking to people who know the Lord. He's talking to people who have the Holy Spirit. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, and there's the magic word. What's the word? Patience. Ha ha! Don't you just love that word? You ever prayed for patience? <laughs> Amy, no. <laughs> Thanks for being honest. Right? Who, who wants to pray for patience? That's a, oh my gosh, right? But the whole thing is set up that we would learn patience and in patience we would gain hope. Think about that. Hope lies in this process here. It says, we know what God has promised, but we don't see the fulfillment of yet. And yet we need to keep our hope in what God has promised, even if we don't see it. And so what you find in the rest of the New Testament is this strong encouragement to hang on to hope. This, this, regardless of how bad things get, of how, regardless how discouraged you feel, regardless how bleak or hopeless it looks, you hang on to hope like a rope and you don't let it go at any cost. Look at with me the encouragements. I just pulled out some of them. Look at Romans 15.4. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Here's the point. Every generation has had to learn patience. Every generation has had to learn obedience. Every generation has learned to have hope. Right? What it's saying here is this, right here. Okay, now I, I like the book form. Some of you like the electronic form, right? I, that's fine. This was written... For two purposes, what? It was for encouragement and for hope. And isn't it amazing that um, we've had this surge this year and, and our church is so optimistic and we've got hope. What, what happened? Well, a lot of us were in the Word this year. A lot of us had quiet times. A lot of us were reading it. And what it says is that when you read, despite the trials and the heartaches you read in here, it produces hope because you see how God can work out the other side. You see what God can do. And it inspires us. If they could keep going, we could keep going. You know, if you think about 
uh, the Old Testament saints, there was a lot of stuff promised to them. And they never saw the fulfillment of it. They had heard and God had spoken personally about this Messiah that he would bring. And, and they would always look and next year in Jerusalem and Messiah will come and this kind of stuff and they never saw the fulfillment of it. And the question is, would God ever bring the Messiah? We've looked for so long. We're on the other end of that equation where God has brought the Messiah and now we're saying what? Will he ever come back? It's been so long. How much longer do we have to wait? But God is working the same lesson lesson of patience in us that he was working in the Old Testament saints. So be encouraged. You're in good company. You're walking with the great ones. This uh, journey of faith is something that God has engaged with in all generations with his people. Right? Look at Hebrews 3, 5 through 6. It says, uh, to hang on to our hope. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. I.e., all the things that Moses did. Coming, uh, rescuing Israel, crossing the Red Sea, the wilderness, the, the tabernacle, um, all the stuff that was set up was all part of this whole deal where God was trying to teach a lesson. And says Moses was faithful in all that. In the same way, Jesus Christ came and he was more faithful than Moses was because it says here that Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. Right? Moses was faithful as a servant. God was faithful over the house as a son. And we are his house indeed if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Uh, if you think about it, the stuff in our culture today is designed to strip you of your confidence in Jesus and to strip you of your boasting that you're saved. Why, how foolish, how childish. You, you believe in a wind-up God and, and, and someone who saved you and, oh, isn't that cute? I'm sorry, I thought you had a brain. I thought you thought about things. I thought you were intelligent. Obviously, you're not. You believe in myths and stuff. If you watch the whole new atheist thing on YouTube and that kind of stuff, all the arguments are designed to strip away your confidence and your hope in Jesus Christ. There's one goal in our culture is to get rid of Jesus and to get rid of his word, right? You ever notice that? You can talk about anything spiritual faith as long as you don't mention Jesus' name and you don't mention the Bible. But if you say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ and I believe the Bible is the word of God, it gets cool in the room really quick, right? Okay? And here it's saying, no matter what you run into, hang on to your hope and your confidence. Uh, this gets repeated all over the place. Look at Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. The idea here of you can't run half a race. You've got to run the whole race. Look at uh, here in verse 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of what? Hope. Have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you not, may, may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience. There's those terms again. What's it saying? It's really easy to get halfway and quit. Anybody of you in here know people who used to go to church and then hit something hard? And they said, well, if that's the way the church is or if that's the way God is or if that's the way faith is, then I'm out. And they've opted out. And as you're thinking through, you realize you probably know a bunch of people that used to go to church. 
right? But they got halfway. They forgot you have to run the whole race, not half the race. How many of you have been uh, tempted to quit when it got difficult and halfway through, right? Thank you, Marie. Yes. Okay. Fibromyalgia, RS. Yes. Right? Chronic stuff. Painful. Um, And this is, guys, this is kind of like a house project. You ever get really enthusiastic over a house project and then got halfway into it and went, what in the world was I thinking? Right? I, our house in Totem Lake, I told this in the first service, and Pam's giggling uncontrollably. So everybody in the church felt bad because Pam had to move into the house that I lived in, which was the bachelor's house. And so a number of people helped us in and the fabulous. Uh, it was an incredible gift. They remodeled our house. And, but one of the things that was left to me was the trim. I was great at taking the trim off. I was not so good at putting the trim back on. Hey? And, uh, yeah. And, uh, wow. That became a snare to my soul because uh, I didn't really care, but my wife really cared. And, uh, and so I made several false attempts at it. And the truth is, we never had trim in that. One of the great joys of Pam's heart when we moved to Mill Creek is we bought a new home which had trim. Okay? She was thrilled. Right? My great fear now is, uh, I promised her 10 years ago hardwood floors. Right? I, now I'm going to give her hardwood floors. Okay? After Christmas we get out. The, but you know what my great fear is? The first job I got to do I have to take off the trim again. And I'm going, oh my God, I've been here once before. No! So I'm smarter this time around. I've already enlisted several friends who have done it and know how to do it because I'm like, if it's up to me, I, it ain't, that ain't happening, Jack, right? Because somebody will call or, you know, right, I get phone calls at home and uh, the next thing you know, I'll be off on a conference for an hour and then the trim will never happen. So, But it's talking about faith like this, how... We get hung up and then we don't finish. We don't finish the project. And it's saying, no, you have to finish all the way. What's the word here? In earnestness of full assurance of hope until the end. Right? It's not saying halfway through, three quarters way through, 87.6% through, 92.3% through. It's saying all the way to the end. We have to have hope all the way to the end. That what Jesus promised, that what he said he'd do for us, he's going to do. And we have to hang on to it that way. Look at um, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter uh, was talking to a group of people where it had gotten really tough and he was, he was trying to encourage them to stay hanging. They said, look, I'm old now, I'm about to die. I know what you're about to go through. Just stay with it. He'll, he'll be faithful. And if you read 1 Peter, uh, that's what he points out. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is talking about when the other stuff you have hope in starts to fail around you. Okay? Um, when the things you've always counted on that have always been there fail you. Uh, there's so many other things we have our hope in other than, than Jesus. Right? And when the people around us fail, when uh, things like your health, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I noticed in my life, one of the things that I, I noticed that I never realized I put a lot of confidence in, but did was I was just strong. 
I was just naturally farm strong. I grew up on a farm, baling hay, and I was just naturally strong. And me and my buddy Greg Onstead used to be able to pick up a piano, carried up three flights of steps with never stopping. That's power, baby, right? I couldn't do that today if my life depended on it. I've some, the other day I was lifting something, and I see a church and went, wow, that's heavy. What the heck's wrong with me? I, you know, and I'm like, oh, don't think, don't ah, right? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Ten years ago, I'd have lifted that with one hand and thrown it, you know? And I'm like, I can't do that anymore. And I suddenly realized, boy, there's a lot of stuff that I have put hope in that really isn't the stuff that Scripture's talking about. Because I realized, man, the more I get stripped of stuff, the more I've got to put my hope in Jesus. That's got to become more foundational, not less foundational. And I've realized, even as a pastor, that a lot of my hope is extended on stuff that's attached to and around Jesus, but isn't necessarily Jesus. But it's really close to Jesus, so it's almost like enough to be Jesus. But then life tells me it's not Jesus. And I figure out, oh my goodness, that's not what I thought. If, you, uh, if you're new or visiting here, I'd encourage you, I'm seeing Scott nod his head. Uh, Scott shared in August a series called Lessons from the Pit, where he went through and his wife Tanya died very suddenly, very unexpectedly. And he walks through that journey. And it, it's things like that that we start to realize Jesus is the anchor. The other stuff is accoutrements, but Jesus is the anchor. And our hope has to be anchored uh, in him. So uh, when it's talking here in First Peter, he's talking about as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who's called you holy, be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What's the great advantage of holiness? The great advantage of holiness is not that I'm better than other people, the great advantage of holiness is holiness builds hope. Holiness fosters hope. When you actually listen to God and you actually follow through, you go, huh, I can do this. Huh, God's there. Huh, this actually works. Huh, this is awesome. Right? And you start to have hope. Your hope increases. Now, you may not do that. You may be an introvert going, hmm, okay. Right? But either way, you have hope. doesn't matter. All right. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 6 here. So here's the challenge. The challenge is to stay anchored in Christ and not put our hope in other things. The Bible says those other things are idols. They lie to us. They promise a result they can't deliver. All right? Look at uh, this in Hebrews 6, 17, 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. In other words, God swore by himself. It is impossible for God to lie. We have fled to refuge, might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to what? The hope set before us. When life isn't delivering the way it's supposed to, we go, yep, that's exactly what Scripture said, but I know Jesus is coming back and I will stand in that. I will stand steadfast in my hope. Not just stand steadfast, but look at uh, 19 and 20, the following two verses. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Uh, Kayla always wrote this verse on my whiteboard up in my office. 
says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What's that saying? Just like Jesus went into the inner curtain, the Holy of Holies, that hope penetrates the inner place of my soul where I don't let anybody else in. You know that place? Right? You have that place? place where nobody else gets in? Right? Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Hello? It's saying that hope penetrates in there where you're alone with your thoughts. The universe that exists within you that you think you, uh, you, you mistakenly think you control. It's saying that hope penetrates that inner place just like Jesus penetrated the inner sanctuary. And it says that where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Now, when we think of an anchor, um, we think of boats, right? In Northwest, it's not hard to think of boats because we got lots of water. We got Lake Stevens, we got Lake Washington, we got the Puget Sound, that kind of stuff. Now, when you go on Lake Stevens or you go on Lake Washington, you got an anchor in a boat, that's not that big a deal. There's no current, right? Now, there may be wind, and uh, you have to have the boat anchored well if there's a wind, but there's no current. If you get on a sound, it's a little di- different deal because now you suddenly have both current and wind. And if you go like to Muckleteal, I have been down by the lighthouse there in the beach, right? Go eat Ivers and go out to the beach. It's kind of stuff, great fun. And uh, if you watch, sometimes the wind's blowing one way and the current's going another. And you can watch boats just get torqued sideways, right? And so uh, current can be a real factor. If you're a boater, you know what I'm talking about. There's a place in, uh, between uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick in Canada called the Bay of Fundy. Any of, any of you familiar with the Bay of Fundy know where it is? It's a Canadian thing, eh? And um, in there, they have the world's greatest tide changes. The tide changes are some on the order of 18 feet. Okay? So think 18 feet. That's like from there to there. Okay? Pretty much. And when that water goes out or when that water comes rushing in, it can do a lot of damage if stuff isn't anchored down or if stuff isn't anchored right. One of the problems in the Bay of Fundy is the tide change is so extreme that if you have your boat anchored too tight, the water comes in, the anchor won't let go, and the boat sinks and gets swamped. If the anchor's too loose, the current takes it, and the boat goes sailing down and snaps the rope, and the boat's gone. So it's not just a matter of being anchored, it has to be anchored right. And if you go in, you can go online, look up the Bay of Fundy, you can watch this tide change, and they show you all the creative things they've done so that boats can be anchored right. Why? Because they want to have their boat. All right? And, uh, and the same thing is true in terms of faith, is that a lot of us are built for Lake Washington waters, we're not built for Bay of Fundy waters. If everything goes our way and everything's nice and everything's good and everything happens the way I want it to happen, I'm, I have hope and I'm locked in. But boy, if stuff starts to kick sideways, if stuff starts to kick wrong, then I sink or I float away. And the scripture's saying here, no, no, we need to be anchored regardless of the circumstance. Now here's the thing. Uh, it's 2.15, it's Christmas 2.15. Think back, I know it's hard. But could you have predicted the events that would have happened in 215? Take yourself a year back. Go all the way back. Right? Go back to Christmas of 214. I know that seems like forever ago. 
and just start cataloging in your mind the things that happened in 215. Amazing things have happened in 215. Do you remember the wildfires this summer? Do you remember all the prayers for rain? God answered that abundantly here, right? Okay. Do you remember do you remember the whole ISIS thing all came up? Do you remember Boko Haram? Do you remember all these things? Could you have predicted that stuff? Right? Now I say that to ask this question. Can you predict what will happen in 216? I have a very good friend, uh, a kid in my youth group. She's not a kid anymore. She's an adult. She's in her 40s. Scary to say that. And she just found out she has stage 4 colon cancer. What do you think 216 is going to bring for her? Where is she going to be if her hope isn't anchored in the Lord? By the way, her hope is. I called her on the phone. She said, Mitch, I'm fine. I got it. It's good. I went, wow, that's inspiring. Do you know what 216 will bring? You know, can you predict what will happen? What Scripture is saying is, no, we can't. None of us can. And that's why going into it, we need to stay anchored in that hope. What are we anchoring in? The hope of God. That's why God came, so that we would have a permanent hope. A hope that could never be stolen from us. A hope that could never be cheated or defrauded from us. A hope that would take us all the way to the end to where either we die and we go meet Him or He comes back to get us. It's a hope that takes us all the way through. It's called the patient endurance of the saints. Let's be well anchored. All right, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask the worship band to come up. We, we've got a song that reflects this in a stunning way. Um, you will absolutely be amazed at the words. But let's stand and pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, as we've contemplated this and we contemplate the end of one year and the going into of another, we uh, recognize there's very little we actually control. And we recognize, Lord, our eyes betray us and there's lots of other things we put our hope in than you. It's not that we stop hoping in you, it's just we attach it to a bunch of other things and then start to think that all those things should provide the hope that you do. Or we start to think that because we hope in you, everything will go well. We don't realize that hope that you had uh, set up terrible things for you and you walked all the way through. And now you're on the other side of it. And you have enormous hope for us that we can walk all the way through and we'll see ourselves on the other side of it. Lord, would you help us be a people of great hope in the midst of a generation that has none? May we stand out very differently because of our hope in you. And if we're going to boast in anything, may it be that we know you and that you've given us great hope. We ask this in your name. Amen.